guys, welcome to another episode of Metal Mastermind, co-founder and your co-host today, Jason Stallworth and co-founder, co-host, the great Gang Candelis. Dude, what is uh, up? I'm good, man. Um, today's a, an interesting topic. We are yeah, talking yeah. about good and bad mixes and what are the implications of that in music, um, especially metal music, of course. Um, but, uh, I think, um, many times, uh, I feel as musicians, sometimes we could either be over, uh, controlling about the mix and the final product. Sometimes we're not enough. <laughs> mm. Uh, I, there's also, you know, budgets and all that kind of stuff. So I think when it comes to, uh, mixing, it's definitely one of the most critical stages of making your music and it's important to get it right. Uh, what, what are your thoughts initially on, on that, uh, Jay? My initial thoughts is there's, there's gotta be some sort of balance. Um, cause you can have albums that are just mixed superior. Everything's clear, but if the songwriting doesn't resonate with you, then it doesn't really matter how good the mix is. Uh, but then you don't want to, you don't want to, use any excuse to take shortcuts and just, you know, submit a bad mix, right? It's got to be decent. But like we were talking about earlier, uh, before we started the podcast, because as you know, we start like, we kind of start the podcast always before we click records, like, man, we should have been recording that. So <laughs> uh, we're rehashing some of our conversation. Uh, it just works that way. It works well. But, you know, we talked about some bands, some of the older bands that maybe didn't have the technology. Some maybe did, but just didn't, you know, use it properly or whatever. But their mixes aren't that great. But I couldn't really imagine the album any other way. The songwriting's great, you know. So I think there's a I think there's a balance of achieving a good mix that sounds great, but also you don't want to be held up. You don't want to be your own worst enemy by continuously. Uh, I'll give the analogy of you know hammering a nail into a piece of wood. Once it's there, you don't want to keep hammering it because you damage the wood. And I think right. if you overthink it, you can actually make it worse than what it was before. So I think there's just a balance. Uh, knowing you know what sounds good, and knowing when good enough is your perfection. That's a really good point. You can spend a long time on mixing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but at the same time, right? It's uh, it, it all comes down to the song. It, 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 you know, you can have a great mix, and the production quality is stellar. But um, if the song is bad, the song is bad. You know. Um, yeah. That is so true, uh, and I'm sure we've heard many, many great mixes over many terrible songs. <laughs> so let so. me ask you this: Do you have a favorite? Do you have a favorite song? I'm not saying it's your favorite song, but a song that you really like a lot, but the mix is just horrible. But you still like the song so much that the mix doesn't bother you. Um. Yeah. I mean, there are a couple of here. Um. You know. Um. Nile is a, is a great example. Uh, we were just, uh, yeah, and you and I were just talking about Nile, and it's funny because <laughs> Nile, uh, <laughs> you man. You know. uh, Nile is, is an amazing band. They're, they're absolutely killer. I feel like it took them a while to um, nail their, their tone in mixes um, because they've tried many different approaches, everything that I've heard uh, from catacombs all the way to vile. I mean, there's like, uh, there's a, there's a ton of 
you know, uh, how would I say, a really wide spread of style of some mixes with with Nile. Yeah. And uh, when it comes to their their song, um, "Evil to Cast Out Evil," it's a great tune, uh, but the guitars are just like way too loud. Literally, the drums like are. <laughs> are so tucked underneath the guitars it's like is there even a drummer in this track oh, man. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of the like cliff burton and justice for all but it's instead it's like the revenge of cliff burton where there's so much bass and there's not enough drums <laughs> oh dude oh man so yeah, Niall's a great example of that. I mean, but they've got like such cool songwriting. Everything about them is just like Egyptian mythology and all that kind of stuff. And um, Carl Sanders really gets into all of his uh, subjects with like a lot of detail. He, he's a, he's an Egyptologist. He really knows what he's talking about. That's cool, dude. That's really yeah. I you turned me on to him, man. Yeah, I was I was like, Ken, dude. I, I remember texting you one morning. I was in the gym. I'm like, I need something new to listen to because when you're going through the iTunes stations, you know, you play it. You whether you whether you listen to iTunes, Spotify, whatever, you will you will create a station based on a song you like, right? So, and in this way, right. you hear, which is the beauty of today's world of music, you get to hear stuff that you otherwise wouldn't hear. And right. Like, man, but they they kind of keep recycling the same stuff after a while. It's like, okay, give me something new. So you told me about Nile. I'm like, okay, beep, 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 typed it in. I'm like, whoa, yeah, I like this. So <laughs> brutal stuff, man. I'm, I'm so happy you do. Um, you got? Do you got anything on your in your list on uh, what you like as a song? But you hate the mix. There, there's a song, and I think the songwriting in this song is just is just so cool. And it's it's a I'll I'll say the album, but it's a very particular song. Uh, the band is called Before the Dawn. It's their two uh, thousand seven album, Deadlight. But the song called Dead Song. Like I don't I don't know that I really care for the the rest of the music on the album. I might like some of the songs, but Dead Song I love. Mm. But the mix on there, it's it's certainly probably not you know up to standards i guess uh it's just it's just bad it's just not a good mix but i like the song so much i can still listen to it over and over and it doesn't the mix isn't bad to where it annoys me to listen to it it's just like okay we could have done some more work on this but you know what i love the song so much that you know i'll, I'll listen to the song all the way through wow yeah i mean that's the power of like a really good song and if you uh you got a really good song and a really good performance usually you can forgive the production for it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I always, I always find that to be really fascinating. And that's, it's like what we pay attention to as listeners is, uh, is very, very interesting. We, um, we tend to feel very connected first with the music. Yeah. And if the music is, is that good, um, we, we almost just accept the production as it is. And we move on. Um, but sometimes, if it's if it's not that great of a song, it, we really sometimes lean on the production quality to to help us get through it. And uh, subconsciously, I think if you, you don't have a good production foundation, then yeah, I mean that's that can be very tough. Um, and it'll sound more like a a mixtape EP out of a garage band than a production from a high quality artist. <laughs> Instead of drums, it's like tin cans rattling. You know, we were talking earlier about, like, I love Testament. I think Testament's phenomenal. But their Practice What You Preach album, which is, I, I got that album on cassette right when I started getting into metal back then. 
and started playing guitar. And, you know, we're talking about the, the mix is fine, but the drums, the production of the drums on there, the, the kick is like, you know, it's like this, this weak little tick, tick. And I remember, you know, sleeping one night and just had metal playing in the background. I think I sleep on the couch or whatever. But, and I would always know when the Testament, when a Testament song would come on from that album, because it was like a mixed tape I had or whatever, uh, or just like, I think as a CD player, when it, when it like takes six CDs and plays random or whatever, old school, old school CD player. Uh, but anyway, I always could tell, because it always wake me up, I'd hear that little tick, tick, tick part from that album. I love the album, and I, I can listen to it, you know, front to back. But is it the best mix? No, probably not. Could the drums have been more powerful in that? Yeah, sure they could have, you know. Yeah. You know, I also think it's it's um it, it's important to mention the timeline when these records were made too because mm. production quality has increased over time. There's no doubt about it. Um but you know, you've got actually some pretty good mixes that are older, you know, for example, like um bands like Nevermore um, oh yeah, their dude, production yeah. quality was like really, really up there. Yeah. Um, even without modern, uh, certain you know sample-based stuff and whatnot, like they just they had a great recording engineer, great mix engineer, great mastering engineer, uh, and their songs rocked. So, <laughs> you know, that totally takes it to another level. And I think, um, even some legendary bands like uh, Metallica. You know, Metallica, their their first record, you could kind of almost forgive the production quality because what they were doing was really so new. Um, you know, they're they're like the fathers of thrash in, in many ways. Yeah. So you, you start thinking about uh, Kill 'em All and like Ride the Lightning mm -hmm. and these albums which have amazing songs, but they're not the greatest in recording. <laughs> Right. Um, it's it, it lends itself to okay. Well, uh, where were we at that time, right? And it's almost like a time capsule um, when you listen to those things. I think when uh, Kirk Hammett, uh, in a recent interview with Rick Beato, he was talking about how uh, Master of Puppets was really their sonic vision realized. That's um, yeah. Yeah. I really think it that was that was it too. That whenever I hear Metallica, I hear that. And that is exactly correct. And that was a great album and that mix was phenomenal. Um even you the blackout. Yeah, the blackout was great too. Oh, but you you had beef and puppets is where you added the the ground beef in there, right? Because <laughs> you yeah. didn't have that beef in the prior albums. But uh, going back to what we're talking about, like uh, Kill 'Em All, I couldn't really imagine Kill 'Em All sounding any other way. I don't know that I'd want it to. Uh, you know, and even when they start out Seek and Destroy, the guitars are you know the second guitar comes in and and slightly off just a little bit. Well, they didn't move stuff around to try to perfect anything. You know, all these little nuances that it had. Uh, and that's more on the you know production side, not so much mixing side. But it was just um, I don't know. I, I couldn't imagine. Like you said, it's a time capsule. You know, we we're also talking about Van Halen. We I just saw on Facebook that uh, on Sammy Hagar's post that uh, they're going to release a collection tour or whatever with the years with Sammy to a certain era. I think it's like '86 through something. I can't call. You have to look it up. Uh, but he was talking about how they didn't have Pro Tools and all all the you know fancy gadgets. They were recording reel to reel back then, you know, and mm -hmm. uh, so they're you know they want to keep that sacred part of it, but also 
you know, beef it up with today's technology, you know, I guess with the remastering of it. And you, you had a story about that as well. You told me a story earlier about how Sammy didn't know they were recording. <laughs> oh, yeah. When when Sammy joined uh, Van Halen, uh, they didn't. Uh, I mean, they 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 re, they were recording, but he thought they were just recording scratches. Scratches, yeah. yeah. And uh, he was just like, "Yeah, okay," you know. And they were all chilling at the studio doing their thing. Um, and then you know, Sammy comes in the next day, and Eddie Van Halen says, "You know, oh no, no, we're done. Like we, I already submitted to the record company, and you know, it's getting ready for distribution." The guy's like, "What?" Yeah, we're gonna save money. <laughs> yeah he was just like holy crap no that wasn't my final performance <laughs> oh, dude. that sounds great <laughs> and if you actually listen to those like uh you know panama or jump or any of those like hits that are so famous from van halen you can yeah. hear that the recording quality on those on on that record is just uh wow yeah <laughs> it's yeah. it's it's like it's not it, you could tell there's a rough edge about it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but that's actually kind of the charm of Van Halen's records in, in a sense, right? Because, you know, you're talking about uh, ultra processed, you know, productions. And here is a super organic recording yeah. that, you know, just throw some mics up, get it on the track and just like hash it. And let's, let's see what you guys got. <laughs> That's kind and, of my personal uh, approach to it all, man. I, I love because there's something there's something raw about rock and roll. There's something unpolished about it, about true rock and roll and heavy metal. It's like you almost don't I mean, again, you this is not an excuse to have a crappy mix or crappy performance, but you want that edge. I feel like if things are just perfected too much, if it's overdone, you take the edge away. You take the human side out of it. And it's like, okay, well, it's just like robots playing and singing. It's like, okay, we want some of that edge, you know, some of that uh, rebellion, if that makes sense, you know? Totally. Yeah. Uh, that kind of synergy that you get from a, a group playing in the mm -hmm. same room mm -hmm. is unmatched in overdubbing. Uh, that's what we always did with uh, my uh, hard rock band, Four Trips Ahead. We always come, went into the studio. We go to a great place called Spin Recording Studios in Long Island City, New York. And uh, we record through an SSL, and we record everybody at the same time. And it's, awful, just, Dude. it's just monstrous, man. It's so much fun. We come in super prepared. We know our parts. And uh, when we capture the recording, it's all the energy is there and uh when we do any overdubs it's uh building upon that initial energy that we capture and that's that's key that's key in all of this so you might um, go back in and, and you might you might you record the band but you might go back in and say hey I, I want another little guitar part here that you necessarily couldn't do you know both those parts at the same time or or right. adding some harmonies stuff like that uh right I, dude i think that is <laughs> that is absolutely insanely good and that's but that's what makes you know four trips ahead like i've told you when the first time i heard you guys i i like the band a lot man you guys sound great but it's a it's just a raw organic rock and roll band dude and it's yep. uh it's everything probably that that modern rock isn't you know <laughs> and you guys aren't you know you know I'll say this too. You guys aren't trying to sound like anybody else. You're not trying to sound like an older band. You're not trying to sound modern. You're just, you guys sound like just some dudes that want to record some really solid rock and roll music. And, and that's what you did, you know? 
Well, thank uh, you. So it's got its own unique. Uh, pass that along to the guys if you think about it from Jason here because <laughs> it's it's got its own unique sound, you know. Yeah, and uh, it's a lot of trust in the people that we work with. Um, you know, shout out to Johnny Nice and Nick Chinbukas and uh, all these, and Nick Cipriano, these guys who've recorded us before, yeah. and Yosef Mar Gomez. I mean, these they're amazing uh, engineers. And uh, there's, there's, they, it is very much kind of like the traditional fifth member of the band uh, taking that role as the engineer. Because, you know, when, you know, Chimbukas is behind the board, you know, he's, he's listening, you know, for the first time some of these songs, but he's hearing it in a way where we may have not heard it before. Um, so he gets to sort of chime in on certain things and, you know, as he's doing it, you know, he's writing some of the faders, you know, he's just kind of feeling it out. Awesome, and yeah. that is, it's like, he, it's like you're recording and mixing to tape almost in a sense, you know, he uses all the, the EQ and the compression from the board and all that kind of stuff. And that, uh, plays a, a pivotal role in the final outcome, um, which I, I, I wish in most cases more bands would do stuff like that there are some bands you know that that still do stuff like that but um i i just feel like in a world where we have so much easy access to recording at home sometimes we just kind of take for granted uh doing it that way which you know in in there are other benefits to that too i mean if they're there it's cleaner and all this kind of stuff but there's nothing like playing with people in the same room. And, um, you know, unless you're doing a solo project and you don't have a band to play with, you know, which is very understandable. Um, if you do have a band, like record it together and play it together. That's the, that's the way to go about it. And that's why, you know, you get such, you know, great songs from bands like Metallica and Van Halen, because that's their entire premise. They're, they're a group. They're a, they're a unit that play together and they're in synergy with each other. I mean, there are other more modern bands, and I, I, I love uh, examples like Ghost, um, because Ghost do that, you know, exactly. And they've got freaking Andy Wallace behind the board, you know, mixing this stuff. And Andy Wallace is just like a legend of, of an engineer. I mean, he's, he's up there with, guys like Chris Lord Algae and you know he's I mean Andy's mixed guys like Rage Against the Machine and whatnot so um those mixes that you get um which they're all using SSL as as the board that's cool, um, man. That's cool. if you're if you're if you're yeah if you want to have that you know kind of snare sound I mean you're you're talking about like a CLA or Andy Wallace type of mix and they're basically like boosting at like uh uh 12 12k i think like 6 db into a compressor um and that's what's giving that open air like snare sound and it's like super like pumped and compressed and it sounds fat i love that sound uh the all these guys they mix into compression um and so that's that's a that's an interesting token about rock music and using technology like the ssl boards which that's what they're doing once they once they created dude once they created that g bus compressor the master bus compressor that's on that board it changed the game for rock 
bef because before then, all you were doing, uh, you know, a lot of mixes were being, you know, on the um, the Neve consoles in the seventies, and then SSL. They had their A and B series, and then CD. You didn't actually see any production come out of the C or D series because um, that was all like beta testing. Um, and then they finally came out with the E console, which had, uh, a, you know, onboard EQ, all that stuff, which people loved. And then, uh, the F console was not released. That was also, uh, in beta testing because they wanted to put in, uh, compression. So here comes the G series, which is the thing that came out in the eighties, which every single rock band just absolutely adores. Uh, and to this day, we still have SSL G series consoles in studios because of that legendary sound. Now explain um, what SSL is real quick, because I know some, I know not all of our listeners probably understand uh, what that is. Sure. So SSL is Solid State Logic. It's a it's a brand. It's a brand of uh, mixing console uh, designers, and uh, it is basically the sound that you've heard on most golden age rock and metal music um that that production quality of an, of an analog console like that is kind of unmatched and um it's it's inspired so many pieces of gear into the future of audio technology uh, i mean it's so good that we're still even using it even after warranty is expired and all that kind of stuff which by the way by the way um ssl i think had about a 30 to 30 year warranty on their consoles dude um so yeah they had uh i mean some of those consoles are probably just like the tail end of that line is probably yeah. just getting out of warranty um which is amazing and support is like not going to be um you know reachable anymore at that point so you know it's 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 been insane um yeah. the longevity of that console when you believe in your product and it's and it's good it lives up to its name i mean dude who can do yeah. that yeah you know? <laughs> that's, that's, that's pretty interesting man and i, and I like like and i don't you know ken I'm, I'm a bit older i'm 48 and i notice i'm guilty of this too uh of just listening to some of the newer bands and that sort of thing. And it maybe not being my cup of tea, but I don't want to be that person, that old guy that's just stuck in the past. You know, uh, I had some uh, YouTube comment several, several months ago about an older guy, uh, just kind of, you know, trashing today's music or whatever. And I'm like, you know, I, I get what you're saying. You know, Cause he's like, he's, he's still living in the past in the seventies and eighties. And I get it. There's some great music that came out of that. I think a lot of that's just pure nostalgia. You know, a lot of the 90s and 2000s music I don't really care for, but people that grew up in that era, they love it. And they might they may not like today's music so much, but they like the 90s and 2000s, right? So I think it's, uh, it has a lot to do with it too. But I don't want to be that person. I refuse to be that person that continues to live in the past. You know, and it's like, well, the new stuff just is not like it used to be. And, and it's not. And it's not supposed to be, you know. Uh, I do sometimes feel bad for the current generation because they keep rehashing stuff. It's like there's not a lot of original stuff out there, like with movies and especially in, in music. But at the same time, there are a lot of good bands out there. There are a lot of great, great bands out there uh, 
I'm not into this, you know, the eight string guitars and all the gent and the down tuning and all that stuff, but I'm glad it exists. You know, I'm glad it exists. And I, we're kind of getting off topic here. We're getting in more to style. But uh, even with the mixing, though, I don't want to be that person that's like, well, you know, I'm not going to succumb to today's whatever it is just because I'm stuck in the past. I don't want to be that person. You know what I mean? Uh, but right. at the same time, I, I want to hold on I, or I want to, I guess, uh, pronounce my own style. You know, you guys, all of you listening, Ken and I. I mean, what's the motto of Metal Mastermind? What do we say every time? What do we encourage you to do? We, we encourage you to create your own sound, to continuously develop your own sound and style. And that even comes with mixing as well. You know, if you want to mix something, I don't think you should, I don't think you should have the mentality of, well, it's got to be the best modern mix. I got to use all the tools. But it also doesn't have to be, well, I'm going to try to make it sound like something old. I think what we should be focusing on is just make it sound good to you. You know, may, what, what, what does it sound like to you? It doesn't need to sound just like Killswitch Engage or just like Metallica's first album, right? Two extremes there. Uh, what sounds good to you? You know what I mean? What sound? You can take advice from people, especially Nick Z. Nick, I'll give a quick plug here with our mixing course. We have a mixing course uh, on metalmastermind.com, our website. So I want to I give Nick Z's course a shout out real quick. He, he goes through some really crucial information throughout that, and, and the testimonies that we've gotten from people in the course have just been phenomenal. It has changed the way they approach mixing and has made things much easier for them. So, yeah, guys, that, that course, all our courses, uh, metalmastermind.com. But uh, Nick Z's course is called Mixing Producer Overlord, the mixing series. So it's real easy to find on our website there. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it's important though to find your own sound. Um, like Ken, you know, you're you just finished mixing Homeric's new album. Uh, I know you've you've got a release coming up for that, probably early 2024. I'm I'm almost done mixing my album, and you know the thing is, is two years from now or a year from now or whenever we mix our next project, whatever that may be. I don't necessarily want it to sound the same. I want something a little different. I want I want to have a different approach. You know. Maybe better, and I don't even know if, if better is the, the, the word, because that's very subjective, but it would be different. I don't want my next album to sound just like Overcome It that I'm about to release. Ken, you probably don't want the next Homeric album to sound exactly like this one. There's some different textures you might want to throw in. So just the thoughts on, on, um, on being yourself, being your own musician, and making it sound great, right? But also making it sound like you want it to sound like. Yeah. Um uh rick rubin just famous producer he's worked on countless records they can't even begin to name them all but rick rubin um he's a he's a quirky guy but he he says a lot of interesting things where um for example his production process he doesn't know a single thing about EQ and compression, how it works and how it's applied. He doesn't know. What Rick does is sometimes he will literally lay his body down on the floor in the studio and just close his eyes and listen. <laughs> and his purpose for doing that is to listen as the listener would and not to be distracted by all the gear and all the analytics of the studio. So he gets down on the floor to be a little bit more, I guess, down to earth, quite literally, <laughs> and uh, 
tries to just become, you know, put into a space where he can just feel the music, even the vibrations on the ground. So I, I think that his approach being a more, I would say, holistic <laughs> approach um, does have some merit to it because when he when he talks about how an artist's music should should feel and how it should, you know, come across to the listener, should come across as fully intentional from the artist that this is what they they wanted. That what the artist wanted, not what the listener wanted necessarily. That the listener would have to uh, bear the brunt of understanding the artist and what the artist was trying to say. It's kind of like saying, you know, well, did, uh, you know, Leonardo da Vinci, you know, make the Mona Lisa for the general public? <laughs> you know, no, he didn't. <laughs> he made it in his vision, the way that he thought it should be created. And we, as the public try to interpret his vision, right? Um, there's, there's, there's a lot of power in that. I think people forget that as the artist, you are the, 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 the messenger of, you know, so much that is in the ethereal, the things that we can't necessarily touch. Now you can tap into that sort of feed and it's it's your job as the artist to interpret interpolate that into something that you can i think associate as your work and your uh your message the thing that you wanted to communicate um so yeah i mean when it comes to you know mixing i think mean, just mix it how like I always th thought of it as just make the best music that you thought you could make that the coolest thing that you ever heard in your life is what your music should be and you should strive for that sound and it doesn't mean you know you might have some influences here and there but it's not like you're trying to recreate somebody else's music because you're not yeah. even in you know and Jason in you played on my record so you understand that even when I do something like a cover, um, you know, the cover song itself is completely redone in a in a way that wasn't even remotely close to the original like recording that the band made. <laughs> it's completely different in my own way. And I've thought about these cover songs as a way to make it my own and you know if i had made this song this is how i actually would have made it and it's not me trying to be traditional to the original music it's 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 my interpretation of that music um which i think you as artists uh you should you should heavily consider i i, I give a lot of thanks to um uh, the sonic art center at city college when i was in in that program uh, because that's that was actually one of our challenges, actually, is creating a cover song and making it our own um, and not doing it the same way as they did it in the recording. So that was a very good skill that I learned, and it helped me to interpret music in ways that I like to hear music. So um, that takes a little bit of practice, and I think it's a worthwhile endeavor that as you're learning, you go ahead and you, you're mimicking some of your heroes. But if you mimic your heroes to the T, you can learn their skills, sure, 
but you don't necessarily develop your own voice. So, but if you go ahead and you try to attempt creating, recreating their music in your own way, you know, this is why like DJs and remixes are like actually super important because people love to hear other ways of their favorite songs. Um, and it's a, and it's a fantastic way to build, uh, an audience if you want to tap into something that they know, yeah. but you now have your own flavor to it. Right. So it's, it's a great like gateway drug into your music. I, I think that's so important and people should really consider that, um, uh, a little bit more often, um, when they, when they try to make a cover band or they try to make uh, just a cover just for their album. Yeah, I, I love that concept. I, I would much rather hear a rendition, someone's own style of a cover song, than the actual cover song. Look, if I want to hear the exact note for note of a song being performed by someone, I'll just put on the record, man, because I, I don't, to exactly. me, and I, I don't mean to sound disrespectful to the artists, this is not meant in that way at all, but I don't really see anything special about learning another song note for note. I just somebody else wrote it it's like okay yay you can play it here's a cookie you know and i, I get it you want to build up your skill if you're a guitar player you're, you're wanting to learn mound steam and, and stuff like that and i i understand that but i i'm just i don't get excited about because someone can play this well you didn't write it so if you're doing a rendition you're in a sense rewriting that song and like you said you know can you want you know you want to have your own voice like okay, I love the song. It means a lot to me. Uh, it means a lot to other people, but here's, here's my take on it. You know, uh, it's, you know, you guys know I play two to three live shows a week at solo acoustic gigs. Um, I had one on Labor Day, really nice show on Labor Day. Actually, I made a YouTube video out of that one because I want to highlight the venue too. It's a really cool place it's called Jerry's Dockside in Gibsonton, Florida. I'm playing at Killing Curly Winery tonight. I've got a gig tonight, you know, Wednesday night. And, uh, of course, this video is going. To, or this uh, podcast is going to be out, you know, two weeks after we film it. So, <laughs> this all happened two weeks ago, as you're listening. <laughs> um, but anyway, you know, I I do a, I never do a song note for note because for one, I don't have the vocal range of the people, most people, guys and girls from the '80s. So I transpose all the songs. Now you're still keeping it to the point where okay, I can tell what this is. I know this is a song by heart. I know this is Summer '69 or, or the Outfields, uh, Your Love or whatever. Um, but I have my own style that I, that I put on it. And I've found that people really appreciate that. You know, they, they really appreciate that. So, um, yeah, I mean, don't be afraid if you're doing a cover song to pour your own style into that. And, you know, what, what can you make it into? Yeah, I think that's a super important point. Um, your artistry and, you know, I know we're talking about artistry now, but like it, it feeds into your production. You know, that's, that's just, they go together (laughs) because the production is how you envision, uh, in a, in a more tangible form, what is in your mind. So I think technical prowess, and I actually had this discussion with a student yesterday at my class where I think there is a, there is a fine line of overproducing and not producing enough. There's, you know, if you're an artist that has never touched a mixing console or never touched anything remotely close to a DAW, then you don't know enough to know how to achieve what you want, which is a problem. Then there's also the other side of that, whereas you know too much, but you're distracted by all the 
maybe the acquisition of gear or just wanting to get the technicalities of it so correct that you forget to make music. Right. So there's <laughs> there's two sides of the coin and it's that ridge that's in the middle which you have said before in in many different discussions it's like that that fine ridge in between a coin that is both sides yeah, um you have to you know if you can if you if you sit on the edge of the coin you can see both sides it's not heads or tails you know sit on the edge so you can see both right so exactly really and that yeah that 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 viewpoint is is so useful here and you you need to know just enough uh to be able to create what it is that you want to create in a technical manner but then you need to know just not enough <laughs> to be able to keep that that sort of childlike inspiration alive and not stamp it too hard by being so technical about things so um you know otherwise you just become the engineer and not the artist right so that's that's an important distinction um that i want you to think about as you're making your record and how you decide uh to delegate who's going to work on your record um because really the way that this conversation came up with uh came up in as a uh, with my student was uh hey ken i i saw this um technology of you know video mapping uh with your music via midi and you know creating your light show out of that and i was just like let me just stop you there for a second because it's like are you studying audio engineering to like learn how to create your music to come to life or are you trying to be a lighting technician and are you trying to be a video technician and all these things he's like i'm, I'm trying to learn a little bit about animation i'm like okay here's the thing and i told him i said look there's a reason why in my record i did not do the artwork despite the fact that i actually come from a visual art background <laughs> it's because i don't have the time I don't have the time, the energy to to dissipate into something that has 30 pieces of artwork that has all this and like and the, their paintings nonetheless. Right. And I like I already have this like concept that I'm trying to fill, you know, work out. And I've got the technicalities of, of a producer to make the sonics come to life. But, you know, I can't I can't be dibble dabbling in, 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 in art as well. And, you know, you know, I told him, I said, look, like, would, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it make more sense that you just focus on your concept? Okay. Focus on making the record because by the time you're ready to do something like a tour, which could be a long time, it could be a long time. Wouldn't you think that maybe somebody who knows how to do lighting and has been doing it for a long time, maybe as long as you've been working on your record probably can make a better light show than you do. <laughs> I was, and he was just like, yeah, yeah, you kind of make a point. I was like, yeah. So don't focus on the, these details, these technicalities that are just like, yeah. you're not even ready for that yet. <laughs> so why are you going to make a video map wall and all this kind of stuff? And, you know, pre-program a light show when you don't even have a record yet. So, you know, focus on the concept, focus on the meat that needs to be eaten by your audience 
before you start adding sprinkles and stuff like that, you know, that that's all cherry on top stuff. No, that makes sense. And that's why I'm having Nick Z master my album, dude. I'm not going to try to, I know nothing about mastering, you know, and I, I know a lot of people think, well, it's just bringing the volume up to, no, that's not at all what it is, right? Definitely that's a not. very small part of it. <laughs> so I, Nick Z masters, I was going to have him mixed, but we, you know, my, we had some budget constraints. I, you know, I ran a campaign uh, for that for post-production. So, I, you know, we, we raised enough for the mixing part and the artwork, which, you know, outsourcing that as well, photography, and there are a few other things, right? Uh, the mixing part, though, I enjoy mixing my own stuff. I don't necessarily want to mix anyone else's, but I'm like, I know what I hear. Um, now, a lot of you, guys, a lot of you folks listening right now, you probably mix your own stuff as well, uh, and or you might not have the budget to hire someone to mix because mix mixing a, a real person that's going to mix your record is going to cost thousands. And I won't say how much in the thousands, but it, it, it's going to be thousands, probably three, yeah. four or five, who knows, right? So if you don't have that kind of budget, and I realize that not everybody has that, uh, you're probably wanting to mix yourself. So you know, that's why we have courses on our website, by the way. That's why we have Nick Z's Mixing Course. And I would also say that limit your feedback that you get from people um, to certain people that are true experts in the industry. I have a handful of experts in the music industry. Uh, listening to my mix to give me feedback. Ken, obviously you're one of them, and you gave me some great feedback, some very detailed feedback, like, you know, <laughs> very detailed in the, in the EQ spectrum, right? That's that's the type of feedback I would never get from anyone else, right? You're very specific. Um, Ed Aborn, the, the drummer for Siren, well, he's been in the music industry his entire life, um, you know, he so he's deep into it, right? So, I trust his opinion. So, and, and I've got a couple other people that I've sent that I trust, but I'm not sending it out to the whole world. Like, Hey, give me your feedback, everybody. Because a lot of, <laughs> a lot of times people aren't, you know, they'll either say, Oh, it's great. But just because you did it, or they'll give you feedback that might not be so relevant to the actual mix. But all that said though, is, you know, get help with things that you aren't the expert in. That's really my point here. You know, like, Ken, you're not going to try to, even though you are an artist, you can do the artwork, but you're busy focusing on this other thing, the, you know, the meat and potatoes of the project. So you outsource that to someone else. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, you know what I think it is? Um, it's, uh, it, I think it's a maturity of your process where you start to realize you can't do everything. <laughs> can't do it when well, you're in the anyway, right? <laughs> Yeah, and, you, and when you when you're in the beginning of your process, I think it's a natural response to want to try and do it all yourself, and because you just you haven't seen the scope of what your project can be, um, and you know the bigger you make it out as you know your final idea, I think, and the more mature you become, uh, I think the more you value the time that you have and where you put it. <laughs> so yeah i think that's why um you know with with people like like you uh you know you you're absolutely so dead set when you're making something like overcome it come to life it's it's like okay this is what i'm doing and like i'm not i'm not doing more than that because this is my role and i need other people that have better skills in doing what i'm trying to do come and make it the best that it can be far than 
my own talents can. Uh, and I think it takes a lot of uh, humility to do that. And but I think you grow into that person over time. Um, so if you're if you know if you're listening to this podcast and you're you know either you're you're mature and in your own right, you probably can relate. And if you're if you're young and you're still seeking inspiration, I think just take this kind of feedback on approaching your your production and make sure that you're allocating the amount of time that you know you can uh that you can do well um because that's where it counts you can always find somebody else to help you along the road and people will because they either like what you're doing or they like you as an individual you know you'll find people to help you along the way and you just have to kind of trust in that um I, I don't think there's any other way to really say it. I mean, I I only came across uh, Jason from meeting him in in, in, a, in a group that was focused on marketing. You know, and that's that is far removed from you know making music because Jason and I were trying to understand the principles of how to create our brand um on a on a music level but it's we were focused on our own brands and we're 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 taking that that sort of concept of okay this is where we really learned it i think it's we can't we can't do everything you know we're trying to do uh you know our own music we're trying to market our music we're trying to make money of our music and then all along that there's so many little details that have to come up in order to make it successful and all these little details you figure out like oh man okay so i could do this 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 and this but maybe it would be smarter for me if i had somebody else do this part of this and that part of that <laughs> because then i can just keep doing this this and this and not that and that right so um yeah i i it's it's just a it's just a fabulous journey. Uh, honestly, it, it, it really is. I think music has changed so much ever since the, the golden age of rock. And we're here now in this position where we actually have to be more careful about how we run our business because it really is. It is a business. And um, musicians are notorious for being overly clingy and <laughs> making you know hold hodling their baby <laughs> and not letting go of it but you got to let the the eagle wings spread and fly right so yeah at some point you had to you had to say okay pencils down I'm, I'm moving on to the next project this is done and you know exactly. it's like the whole you know the nail being hammered into the wood analogy it, once the nail's in there just leave it man it, you're good do the next thing and move on because uh, if you keep if you keep beating that nail into the wood you're going to damage the wood and it's not going to be any good anymore. So you can actually set yourself back quite a bit by overthinking it. But again, the balance, you, you don't want a crappy mix either. <laughs> so, um, dude, this is a great conversation, man. Because um, again, there are a lot of bands I, I like. There are a lot of older albums that don't have the best mixes in the world, but I couldn't really imagine them any other way. Um, and there are some cruddy mixes too, you know, new and old. And again, just because the mix is great, well, it doesn't mean you'll like the album. There may be a lot of bands out there that are, are mixed to the T and, and just processed, and it just sounds perfect, but the songs may not resonate with you. So 
you, there's right. there's a balance in all this stuff, guys. You know. Um, but dude, on that note, uh, do you have a song of the week that you'd like to put out there? Um, you know what? Um, yeah. Um, Whitechapel. This is Exile. Great tune. Uh, something that I've I've listened to actually ever since I started really playing drums for real. Um, and it's a uh, really hard hitting, uh, you know, metal. It's it, it's it's Whitechapel. I I've seen them a couple times live, and every time they get on, man, the the pit just erupts. <laughs> I love Whitechapel. They're 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 great performers, and the drummer is absolutely killer. It's one of the reasons why I loved them so much in the beginning of my uh, drumming. Well, I'm going to take us back a few decades with my song of the week uh, to 1987 and talking about mixes, probably not anywhere near what today's mixes are, but it's Dawkins' album, Back for the Attack, and the specific song is the first track on there, Kiss of Death. Now, I'm a, I'm a big George Lynch fan. I just love his style. He's just got this really wicked twist to his playing, and it's just it kind of just pulls you in. So Kiss of Death. First track on the Back for the Attack album by Dawkins, 1987. Oh my God, what was that uh, Dawkins song? I'm looking for it now. Mr. Scary? Uh, there, there is that one. Um, but wasn't there one? It was uh, Back for the Attack, Dream Warriors. Oh, on Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, that was that's a killer Dream tune, Warriors. dude. I love Dream Warriors. Yeah, that's a really cool song. I love that song, too. The video was cool, too, on MTV. This is back when MTV yep. actually played videos. Uh, Miss Headbanger's Ball, man. It was actually music television. Yeah, it was real music television. I don't know what you call it now. Um, <laughs> anyway. But, guys, right. we want to thank you so much for being a part of Metal Mastermind. We we do appreciate each and every one of you. Thank you. Uh, head over to MetalMastermind.com, guys. Check out the courses we have. We've got guitar courses, uh, music theory courses, uh, vocal, production, everything, building your own studio. So just go to MetalMastermind.com. Check those out, guys. And until next week, as always, create your own sound. <laughs>